our survey of this amazing account from our God. Geographically, you know, we are still in that region of Palestine where Judea and Samaria are located. As we look at the story uh, from God about how the gospel continued to spread you know, to the world and how the Lord's church is being established and uh, planted elsewhere outside of Jerusalem. Uh, the events surrounding today's uh, study, as well as Lord willing, next week and even after that, you think about chapters nine, ten, and eleven. You, know, you kind of got the three these three big events. You've got uh, Saul, the persecutor, and you've got Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and then you've got the church in Antioch of Syria. And how all of these are really building up, they are kind of the prelude, you know, that's leading to the next section, the other half of the book of Acts, where God, through his people, takes the gospel to distant lands in the world, you know, a world at that time that was under Roman control, you know, they are the global power you think about the political environment you know, you know, of our day today uh, in our lifetime and different ways that we see you know, powers rise and powers fall. And it can be quite unsettling to us. And yet through a time when the world then, like now, was filled with uncertainty, God's people, those who are committed to the Lord, saved by the Lord, took that message to others as well. And so we're going to focus today on the account in Acts 9 that is about the conversion of this persecutor of Christ. Very quickly, I want to just pull four questions out of our question sheets you know, for those who are members here. I'll just ask the question and you know, someone can just kind of speak up loudly you know, with the answer. Question one, it was, what was Saul doing to disciples of Christ? So what was Saul going about doing? He was persecuting them. Chapter nine begins with the idea how he's breathing threats and murder. You know, so that's the tone of Acts nine. Uh, question three, who spoke to Saul in chapter nine? It's Jesus. So Jesus steps in here, he intervenes, and he speaks and addresses this persecutor. Uh, Question six, why had Jesus appeared to Saul? Or why did Jesus choose Saul? What was his ultimate mission? To preach the gospel. To take the gospel to the world. And it talks about, in this chapter, kind of the various groups of people. It talks about the Gentiles, talks about the kings, and and talks about the sons of Israel. And and Paul carries that mission faithfully in his allegiance to Christ. Last question I'll pull out. Why did Saul have to flee Jerusalem? Yes. The Grecians, Jews, were trying to kill him. And so he very quickly began to understand in a very personal way what it, is, what it is like to be on the other side of persecution, where he is no longer the persecutor of saints of God, but now he is the persecuted saint of God. And so we begin here in chapter 9 as we look at our, our text where Saul has this authority you know, this authority to, to take 
uh, his mission to foreign cities now. And so the persecution against, against the church that began in Jerusalem has intensified, is increased. And so under Saul's leadership, so Saul kind of initiates, hey, he goes to the high priest. Hey, I want to go even to other cities where there is strong representation of, of Jews who have been converted to the way of Christ. And under Roman control, the Romans did give Jews some authority, they had to work within that parameter, and that's illustrated even with Jesus Christ. And so when you're studying the Gospels, the Jews wanted to get rid of Jesus by killing him. But what? Who did they need to do that? They needed the Romans, yes. They couldn't do that themselves, and so they did not have the authority to, uh, to carry out the death penalty, but they did have some authority, and so here they have authority to take this mission, this agenda, you know, even to the foreign cities outside of Palestine, outside of Jerusalem, and basically hunt down these Christians you know, to, to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. And so what's stirring this up is, is Paul's zeal. You know, he is so zealous you know, for what he believes to be you know, right and to be true. He wants to broaden his reach against those people that he viewed as apostate Jews. And I think it's important to, to, to note here in this first verse that uh, imprisonment was not the only threat to you. The threat was also your life. And Saul was in hearty agreement with that. And, it, and Saul, when he becomes the apostle and reflects on this, speaks of the violence that was part of his life. But Christ changed all of that. Christ truly transformed this persecutor to one of the great servants and warriors of Christ and so as you know, in the study of, of, of Acts chapter 9, you, you move from there to the point where he now encounters Jesus before he reaches the, his destination. He, you know, he's coming from Jerusalem, he's going, all the way, he's going to the north, you know, to Damascus, you know, which is a Syrian or Aramean uh, city outside of kind of Jewish jurisdiction, and he's going to go there, but he doesn't reach the city before Jesus steps in, and you have this encounter that he has with Jesus Christ. And so it says, you know, as he is approaching the city, you have this great light that suddenly surrounds uh, Saul. And it says, Saul and everyone with him fell to the ground. So you've got this amazingly bright light that flashes and you just fall to the ground. Now, it is in later accounts, you have some more kind of details that are given us about this experience that Saul had. Acts 9 doesn't really you know, give us you know, these details. For example, over in chapter you know, 22 and uh, verse 6, at what time of day did this happen? Noon. And so it's in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day, suddenly, you know, so the sun's up, 
you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bright day already. But in the middle of the day, you've got a brighter light that appears suddenly around you. And, uh, and in chapter, chapter 26, when Paul, in a different defense, and goes over that as well, he talks about how bright this light was. It was brighter than what? It's brighter than the sun. And so it's in the middle of the day, and you have this light that's brighter than the sun, already, you know, sun which is already, you know, you know like I say, high noon here, and you got this light up here. And so you can see why naturally, uh, you know, your immediate reaction would be fall to the ground out of fright. It's not out of respect at this point. It is out of fright. You know, I have a, a story about myself. I was in my teens visiting my, 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 my grandparents and, uh, in northern Florida. And as Floridians know, you know, you, know you, you can have these, you know, thunderstorms, rainstorms, whatever, come up pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, and, and for a moment there, it can be pretty intense. And so, but anyway, this day, I, it, it, it the storm had come up, and I, I needed to go out to the car and uh, get something out of the trunk. And so it's raining, it's, you know, it's, it's thundering, it's lightning, all that's kind of going on. But I need to go out there and get, you know, I don't even remember what it was. But anyway, so I'm out there, you know, and my grandfather was actually sitting in the carport, doors open, just kind of watching. He's going to re- relaxing. And, and so he couldn't do anything. And so he's sitting there just watching me. And as I'm out there at that door, suddenly you had this clap of thunder that just was enormous. Guess what I did? I fell to the ground. You know, it was so loud. It felt so near. You know, it's the most moment you thought, oh, I got hit. You know, and of course I, I was safe. I was fine. And my grandfather was just there just laughing then. He just sat there and laughed and laughed. He just thought it was hilarious. I didn't think it was hilarious myself. But uh, anyway, you think about the moment, that's kind of, you know, it, you know, it doesn't say there was a thunder here, but it was a light. You know, brighter than the sun, middle of the day, suddenly this thing surrounds you and Saul, the persecutor, with all those who are with him and traveling, they all fall to the ground. And it then says in, in Acts 9 that Saul heard a voice. And it's over in chapter 26, it was a voice in the Hebrew dialect. And so he heard this voice But did he know who that voice was at first? No. He did not know who this voice was. But the voice knew Saul. The voice knew him. And he addresses him personally. And, of course, Saul comes back to you. You know, he asks, well, who are you? And I I imagine, this is my imagination, but I think in my imagination, here he is on the ground, perhaps shaken up really badly by what's what's just happened and is happening. And he hears this voice. Somebody's talking to me. He's called my name out. And I just imagine him asking, who who are you, Lord, In in a scared way? And it is then that Jesus identifies himself. He says, I am Jesus. And I just want, you know, like I say, sometimes we try to imagine too much and we get in trouble when we do that. And so we've got to be careful with scriptures. But I can't but help, you know, that was not who he was expecting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
hearing the voice of Jesus. Here's, here's just kind of a thought question. What did, what, what did hearing that voice of Jesus reveal about Jesus now? What did that reveal about, reveal about Jesus? He's out here hunting down you know, Jews who have been converted to the way, the way of Christ. You know, and so as a persecutor of Christianity, you know, does he believe in Jesus? No, he, he did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He's the one that we've been looking for. And so if he doesn't believe in Jesus, he doesn't believe that he's the anointed one of God that was to come. So does, you know, what does he believe happened to Jesus? He's dead. Is he dead? No. He's not dead at all. At all. He's alive again. You know, and so you think of that idea, you know, when Jesus says, I am Jesus, I'm the very one that you have been denying exists, denying that, that is alive, though he was dead, I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me. Even though he hasn't met Jesus yet, until there's a counter, he hadn't seen Jesus with his eyes and so when he was you know, binding these people and carrying them back to Jerusalem and, and with hearty approval with the, whatever punishment, even if it was death, you know, he wasn't seeing Jesus in those people's lives. But Jesus said, but I am he. I'm Jesus. And it's in one of the accounts that goes to the expression, and it's hard to kick against the goads, he says. You're kicking against the wrong one. Yeah. Implying you're not... You're not really hurting me, you're hurting yourself, what you're doing. And so the, you think of the idea how by persecuting God, God's people, by persecuting Christ's disciples, he was persecuting Jesus himself. We need to be careful how we treat one another, don't we? Brother Bruce over here, Jason. Because those who made an allegiance to Christ belong to Christ. We are his people. Jesus himself said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. Right. Glad you brought up that passage because that's the point. And so, and so Jesus is driving this point home. And as you know, in your reading of the text and the other accounts as well, Jesus now basically commands him, okay, I want you to get up. I want you to go into Damascus and because it's there, you know, you're going to be told what you must do. In Paul's own uh, exposition and explanation of, of these events later on, he talked about, you know, he was told that, uh, Leanne over there, that uh, you're going to be told all that you've been pointed to do. And so that's what he does. Uh, and so you think about the idea of when you know, he's, heard the, he's heard this voice, the voice identifies himself, and Saul does exactly what the voice told him to do. And so what does that now imply? What does Saul's reaction imply about um, his conviction, about his respect to this voice who said, I am the Lord Jesus. What does that imply about his conviction and respect at this point along the process? He's becoming a believer. Yeah. Now, 
to, you know, how, how, how deep of that faith is, we don't know. But, the, you know, he, he, is, he is not the unbeliever that he was moments before. Yeah. Now, he's, there's a lot, of, a lot of growing he's going to do in the years to come. But he is definitely convinced. He is persuaded. And so when the voice told him to do something, he did it. He has a great conviction in the lordship of Jesus now, in the authority of Christ. And so he goes into the city, and he's going to wait. Uh, we're told you know, while he's there, he was fasting you know, and praying. You know, you've got a couple of verses. Verse 9 talks about he didn't eat, he didn't drink for three days. You know, verse, you know, that's verse 9 of chapter 9. Verse 11 talks about he was fa- praying as well. All that's going on. And uh, one more question, and then I'll uh, 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 allow Leanne to speak. But you know, did, did Saul know how long he would have to wait? No. Think about that. You are blind. And now you're told to go, go into the city, and you're going to be told what you must do. He doesn't, he doesn't know who's going to tell him, and he doesn't know when he's going to be told. He just goes. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And this encounter, even though the others, they, they, you know, they, they, they experienced the light, they heard something, but they, they, don't, they don't know what Saul saw and heard. Because this encounter is really exclusively for Saul. Leanne. I just wanted to say, um, this goes to prove um, we don't know who Jesus would pick to be disciples or apostles or whoever. Because when he becomes an apostle, the Christians are so afraid of him that Mm -hmm. they don't want him to assemble with them. And it takes Barnabas to say, hey, look, you know, this guy's really changed. You need to listen Mm -hmm. to him. And Paul being struck blind, I think that was significant because for a long time he lived blindly. He mm-hmm. did this blindly. He thought for sure he was doing God's will and putting these Christians to death. Mm-hmm. And God struck him blind and God made him fast and everything. And then he realized he probably was, he probably did what most sinners do, which was cry out to the Lord and say, I am sorry, I repent. And then he was baptized, and then he became a, the, the fierce apostle that we know as Paul now. Thank you. And I wanted to kind of bring that point up as well, you know, the idea of, of Jesus choosing. You know, to be honest, I would not have picked the persecutor. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe you would have seen something that I wouldn't have seen. But, you know, I've got to be honest with you, I probably would not have seen Saul as the perfect pick for the last apostle of Jesus Christ. And it just goes to, you know, goes to, to say, you know, we do not know, you know, you know, how a person can change and become an amazing warrior for the king, you know, for the almighty God. Yes. We, <clears throat> we see here something else about his personality. Nothing in this world matters to him at this point. Yes. He does not eat. He does not drink. He doesn't sleep. He is praying only. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters but the Lord. Yes. It didn't matter before, but the Lord, but there were still worldly things. 
here. He doesn't care. To go three days without drinking, you're going to die. Doesn't matter to him. Uh-huh. Good point. Yes. Uh, right there, Brother Piner. Um, I just think of his reaction here when he responds. And some versions say, he says, what is it, Lord, you want me to do? Not what is it I want to do in my stubborn will, not what's the most popular thing to do, not what is it that will get me the most attention, but what is it, Lord, you want me to do? And I think if we approach our study and our our time with the Lord in that way, then we'll get the answers we need and Mm -hmm. we'll know what we need to do and have the same kind of determination to follow through on that if we have that that same um, kind of reaction in our heart. You know, on the Mount Transfiguration, they fell the same way. They fell before that glorified Lord. John would have it later on in the Revelation to fall before the Lord. Mm. We're all going to one day fall before the Lord. There's nothing we're going to be able to do to say uh, mm. uh, against it. Right. It's going to happen. Right. Yes. Appreciate those you know, thoughts. Anyone else want to add to it? Brother Bruce over here. And when Paul asked that question, he asked the same question every sinner when he's confronted with Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost on is, what should I do? Yes, yes. And it goes back to the point of, of, of the attitude, the heart, you know, uh, all, that, all that matters at this point forward is the Lord and the Lord's will and, and what that you know, means and how that's going to be carried out through me. But it's all about the Lord now. It's not about me anymore. Sister Diane. The interesting thing is the answer is never do nothing. Right. As, as much of Christendom yeah. now says. Yes. There's always, yeah, there's something that we need to be doing, and it needs to be what the Lord says, what the Lord has revealed. And that's a good point. And so that's the thing, you know, so as Paul is waiting, you know, and all that, and nothing matters but the Lord now, you know, he's waiting to hear what the Lord has to say further to him about what he must do, about what's appointed for him to do. And so that's where you come to the next point of the story where you've got Ananias is being sent by Jesus to Saul. Ananias is a Jew that has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus picked this messenger and he picked this messenger, Ananias, to go to his uh, uh, converted, his changing Saul, so that he could be told what he must do. And it's interesting when you think you think about this idea of Ananias, and you, so you, you see some you see some hesitancy. You go kind of what uh, uh, Leanne was pointing out. Yeah, Ananias, you know, expressed to the Lord, you know, here that uh, he had some concern. <laughs> Would you be a little bit nervous if you know, suddenly Jesus picked you? Because you all, and that's the point. Ananias knew already. Ananias knew why this man Saul, coming with his however many people he had with them, you know, with, with this force, he knew why this force, you know, sent under the authority of the high priest, was coming to Damascus. He knew that. He knew that. And so you think I hear, so Ananias kind of expresses this uh, to Jesus. And I think we can understand there is a sense of there is, okay, you know, that's kind of somewhat justifiable. You say, hey, Jesus, you know, this, this man is, you know, he was coming, you know, 
to, to Damascus for a particular reason. We've already heard, I think it's interesting, you know, the New American Standard Version, when talking about what Ananias says, he's talk, he says there in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. I've heard about what he's been doing and all the harm he is causing to your saints. And he goes on, and he has authority to come here and to bind whoever calls on the name. So we understand why he's asking this question. Jesus does not rebuke Ananias for being somewhat hesitant here. <laughs> yeah. And so he doesn't scold Ananias here, but you know, he simply says, this is what I want you to do. Go back to the points y'all have already made. At this point, even from Ananias' viewpoint, what, all that matters is what the Lord has said. If the Lord tells you to go, then that's what you need to do. You need to go. And so Ananias does that. You know, his concern, though, and then once again, give credit to Ananias. He has a great faith in his Lord, in his Savior. He, he's a bit worried or anxious, whatever, how you want to describe that. But when Jesus says, but go, you know, I have chosen him. Ananias didn't pick Saul. Ananias did not pick Saul. Jesus picked Saul. Ananias goes. He goes to, you know, to Saul, you know, you know, where he is lodging, and he brings the Lord's message to him and to tell Saul what he must do. And so there's a number of things that you, you, you see happening. Over here, you're there. Okay, there. All right, there. Looking I'll for say. you, Jay. I lost you. <laughs> the, uh, the idea that um, this kind of speaks against the concept of irresistible grace mm -hmm. uh, because uh, even though Saul, you know, obviously was blinded um, and his life was changed with truth, he still chose to obey what, what Jesus told him to do. Uh, when you think about who Jesus had around him, Saul is one example, but Judas, he, he lived with Judas every day knowing what he was capable of. Mm -hmm. And yet he didn't force him to be obedient to God's will. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, I mean, certainly there was grace involved, especially with Saul. He could have just been struck dead for what he was doing. But uh, instead, God had a better plan for him. Yes. And that's something we need to be careful about saying, you know, comparing, saying that someone did so bad when we, we are each capable of such evil. Mm -hmm. so. right. And I think, you're, you know, when you think about what Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 1 there, and he reflects upon his, on his past, and he speaks there in that passage of the grace of God or the grace of Christ that he was shown so that, you know, though he still considered himself chiefest of sinners, he says, but I'm an example for all sinners, that there is grace for all of us, for us to call upon him and do his will, obey the Lord. And so you have the various things that you know, Ananias has spent to do. You know, he's blinded by the experience, Brother Piner right there. Uh, he's blinded by experience. So one of the things we clearly see he was sent to do is to lay his hands on, on Saul to receive his sight. 
And so you look there in, in verse 12, in verse, verse 17, that transpires. Uh, and then he tells him, okay, Christ has chosen you. I was thinking of the call that Ananias had to go find this man who was praying. You know, in evangelism, sometimes the most important thing we can do is be observant around us to see whose hearts are open to the gospel. Someone who's praying, someone who's doing something, uh, you know, that we can identify. Here's someone already seeking the Lord. I just need to get them further. Right, yes. And I think that's a good example to think about how you've got uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, you know, hearing Apollos, and Apollos needed, you know, further teaching, further guidance in the way of Christ and the gospel, but they recognized he was a heart you know, that you know, was seeking the Lord's will. Yes, and so, and along with that, you know, not only you know, making note of hearts that are seeking, hearts that are praying, but you see the significance of prayer. You know, we need to be praying you know, uh, as well when it comes to the idea of being able to Go when sent, but also to be able to have the eyes to see, you know, even these so-called unexpected ones that are ripe for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Brother read over here. I find it really significant that Ananias went from fear of Paul and just a few verses later, he calls him Brother Paul. Yes. He realizes, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's an apostle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you think about, you know, it's interesting. I never thought about that point. You've got two, two characters. Obviously, the main character is Saul. His conversion, his transformation, you know, because of coming to the conviction, Jesus is the Christ, he is the Lord, he is the Son of God, and therefore I must do whatever he says. But in the same point, you've got a, a growth process going on with Ananias as well. So, not even, you know, you know, so you've got two people you know, be growing in their faith and understanding you know, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyone else? When you think of that, let's talk a little bit about this idea of... Uh, you know, Saul being told that, that he was chosen by Jesus. In chapter 9, you know, you know, primarily that's verse 15 and verse 16, you know, where he says, okay, go, he, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, when you harmonize this chapter with the other chapters later, when Paul gives a defense, you got a little bit fuller exposition uh, of of this point of of Paul. I'm excuse Saul, who becomes Paul. Uh, you know, be, being chosen and and he's chosen by Christ, and that really you think of it. That's that's really the whole point of an apostle. Did apostles, you know, just kind of. You know, choose for themselves. I, 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 want, I want to do the job of an apostle. Well, no. You know, well, one, of the uniqueness, one of the uniqueness of being an apostle is that you are chosen by Jesus. You know, even with the replacement of Judas Iscariot with uh, Matthias, uh, yes, there is a role of the disciples in trying to, you know, okay, who, who are the best candidates for this office, this, this work that needs to be done? But in the end, who chose Matthias? Well, it's, it's the Lord that chose Matthias. And so 
You know, what, you know, with that said, what is the significance? You know, you think, okay, you have the encounter on the road. He's been waiting in a prayerful, fervent, prayerful time, seeking the Lord, wanting to know, you know, what, what he's going to be told. And so here's a man who has seen Jesus, who has heard Jesus. You know, why is that so important in regard to Christ choosing him to become Numbered among those who are the one sent ones. Right. You know, you go back to chapter one. You see how all these chapters kind of come together as you're moving along. And the point in chapter one is, is one of the big issues is to be an apostle. You had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you must, have, you must see the fact that the Lord is alive after dead and being buried. You know, and so Paul, in this experience, you know, is to help him to carry out and fulfill the fact of him. He was chosen by Christ uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, Paul is writing about the resurrection and talks about a number of, of people and, and moments that uh, testify the fact that Jesus is and was raised from the dead, though he was crucified on the cross by Romans. You know, Romans you know, in verse 8, Paul says that he, that he was the last one to see the resurrected Lord. The Lord's still alive, but he's the last one to have seen that Jesus was raised. We believe, Brother Bruce. I guess, yes, in that sense, you've got, you've got an, uh, uh, the visions of Revelation, but John had, had already seen him you know, resurrected you know, in, from the dead on earth. And so you've got, you know, from that standpoint, you've got that point being made. But yes, there is the visions that John have later on that uh, all part of the revelation from Christ. So you yeah, so pretty significant. You know, this encounter is so that he could carry out the task he's being chosen to do, the mission he's being called to carry out. Uh, and so he becomes numbered among the 12, uh, he argues at different points, particularly in the Corinthian letters, that he was not least among the eminent apostles. And so the point is, he is no less of an apostle than Peter or John. You know, they were all you know, equal and co-workers as apostles. And, and so he had to have, be an eyewitness of that. And of course, and then another thing he, he, ha- he had to be told to do yeah, it was yeah, to be baptized. There in chapter 9, verse 18, you see Ananias is, uh, is uh, carrying out uh, uh, this task, assisting him in the immersion into Christ. It's, it's his you know, later defense that we see as Paul tells us more about you know, what was said to him 
you know, chapter 9, you've got, you know, you know kind of abbreviated uh, account. And you, so you've got these other defenses that Paul makes. He gives a little bit fuller uh, exposition. And so it's in chapter, chapter 22, verse 16, where, you know, he said he was told by Ananias, you know, you know, why are you waiting? Arise, you know, uh, be baptized, you know, to, you know, calling the name of the Lord to wash away your sins. So the point is, is he, one of the things he had to be told to do is don't delay to wash away sins through Jesus Christ by obedience unto Jesus. And so you have a number of things Ananias was sent to say and do on this event because Jesus picked Saul. You know, I, I don't think we can you know, say that enough. Jesus picked Saul because Jesus knew the heart of Saul. He knew he was a heart that would change and be converted and one day lay his life down for him. And so you see, as we try to, you know, kind of wrap up the chapter here with a few minutes we have left, you know, the fact that, okay, you've got this converted Saul now. And what, and what does he start doing? He's just, he immediately starts uh, preaching Jesus, preaching that he's the son of God. Now, I just find it interesting. You think about, uh, you know, what is said uh, in the beginning of the chapter, uh, yeah, in verse 2, he talks about the, the authority, the letters he receives. And he says, you know, for him to go to the synagogues at Damascus. Yeah. So that was his first intent. To go to the synagogues of, of Damascus and find all the so-called apostate Jews, all these Jews who are now believers and followers and disciples of the Son of God. But then you find in, in verse 20, after he you know, has been told what he must do, and he has been baptized to wash away his sins, to call on the new Lord, now he is numbered among the disciples. In verse 19, he says, okay, he's with them now. He, can, you know, he was coming up to be against them. In verse 19, he says he's with the disciples now. So that means he's with Ananias. Ananias was in that number. He's with them. And verse 20, and he's proclaiming Jesus. Where? Where is he proclaiming Jesus? In the synagogues. The very synagogues he first intended to go to find. Okay, give me, give me the names. I want all the names of the Jews who are connected with the synagogue who are now believers and followers of the way. He goes to those same synagogues. It's a total different mission. Because all that matters is the Lord. That's all that matters now. Yeah, he is convicted. He is persuaded. And his task now as an apostle is to take that message and to and persuade and convict others by telling him what he saw and what he heard and what he will be told. Sister Diane over here. Yes. And this, this is a special gift because when he goes to preach, he has the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, and, and, and it's later on, for example, in Galatians 1, Paul makes a, a, a strong argument about that, that you know, the idea of his ability and knowledge of the revelation of Jesus Christ did not come from men, 
but it came from the Lord. And so, you know, he was filled with the Spirit, you know, equally like the other apostles. And so he was no less an apostle in that way as well. And so, you, so he's preaching Christ now. And, uh, you know, when you think about this idea, uh, you know, he, like I say, he's, he's there for a while. Uh, it's in Galatians 1 that there's, you know, it kind of gives us, I, you know, I don't got it all f- figured out, but there is some time period that goes on here between his conversion and Damascus and when he finally goes to Jerusalem. Uh, and because the, he also you know, will travel to Arabia before he makes that first trip back to Jerusalem. And so there is a duration here, but he quickly learns what it's like now to suffer because he can't stay in Damascus anymore. You think about it, here's this man, he's, he's come with authority and he is now, he has become a believer and he is boldly and successfully proclaiming Jesus as the son of God. But then you think about all those other Jews who are now turning against him. You know, be, yeah, and they would have they would have supported the, you know, supported him and in, in hunting down Christians, and now they're going to hunt down him, and they want they want him to put, be put to death. And so the chapter or section that we end with, yeah, you know, you know, here is this last section of in Jerusalem, where eventually he does he gets to Jerusalem, you know, as pointed out earlier. He wants to be with, he, he seeks out Christians, he wants to be with them. There's hesitancy, you know, because they knew, they knew the man that left. They knew the man that left, but that's not the same man that came back. That's the power of Christ. That's the power of the gospel when we have hearts that are open to hear and to accept the truth and to do what we're told to do. Because the Lord says it. Because that's the Lord's will. And so it took Barnabas, as you know, in your reading of this, this account, it took Barnabas you know, to kind of help sway the apostles as well. You, you look there in verse 27, he says, Barnabas took, you know, he brought, saw, brought him to the apostles. So the apostles in Jerusalem had to be you know, swayed. You know, and so he describes to them everything that uh, had transpired, what Saul had seen, uh, that the Lord had talked to Saul, and how that Saul preached boldly the name of Jesus Christ. And it's with that encourager, with, with that you know, one uh, named Barnabas, that, that he has a positive influence, and he is now proclaiming Jesus in Jerusalem. But again... You see, the, the story's going to be repeated over and over and over of the fact that Saul, who becomes the, known as Paul, will always be persecuted for preaching Jesus. We've got to end there. Appreciate very much all of your comments. Thank you.